Yesterday I was thinking and uh, about my dad. And I think of all the crazy things my dad used to do. I probably get some of my craziness and um, well, my, my dad used to say or my mom used to say, you're such a little stinker. Now, I get my little stinkiness from my dad. And I can remember every so often my dad would pull me aside and say, come here, I've got something to show you. And so he would show me this wonderful little gift that was for not me, but my mom. And he says, I'm so excited, I'm going to give this to your mom for her birthday or Mother's Day or Valentine's Day, whatever it was. And then he would say, you can't tell her. Well, you tell a little kid that you can't tell somebody something. What are they going to do? They're going to want to tell somebody. And here I saw this precious little gift that my dad got. And maybe it was a week, maybe it was two weeks before that event. But I had to keep it a secret. Looking back on that, I would say, um, that is not very fair that that, my dad would do that to me. And I don't know if I ever told my mom or not. I've pushed those things out of my memory. I'm sure I did. Or I'd tell her, I remember one time my kids, they bought me a gift and I was supposed to go look for it. And I won't remember which one of the kids says, but dad, it's not in the closet. Guess where it was? In the closet. But she was going to make sure that I didn't know where it was. It just slipped out wrong. Probably somebody has told you a secret sometime in your life or showed you something and said to you, you can't tell anybody. And everything inside of you is bubbling up and wants to tell what you know. Well, today's um, scripture passage that we look at brings us to um, that point. We're in Matthew chapter 17. And um, we're going to look at the first... 13 verses of Matthew chapter 17, and it is uh, the account of the um, transfiguration, the time when Jesus was transfigured before three of his disciples. Now, we uh, pointed out last week that location is very important when we read the scripture. We have writers like Matthew who had a certain plan when he wrote his accounts of Jesus' life. The writings of Matthew are somewhat different than the writings of Mark, which are different than the writings of Luke, which is a whole lot different than the writings of John. But they all tell the story of Jesus from a particular 
bent. They had a plan in mind. They wanted you to see Jesus in a uh, specific, uh, particular way. Matthew focuses on one aspect or one big theme, and Mark does the same, and all the gospel writers do that. Matthew um, wrote to uh, the Jews specifically. Mark wrote more to the Gentiles. In Mark's gospel, you get um, the uh, events of, of Judaism explained because his readers didn't understand them that well. In Matthew, his audience is the Jews who understood the history of Israel. So he focuses on another picture. And one of the great uh, pictures that Matthew wants to give to us is that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And that Jesus has come to set up his kingdom. This was promised to Israel throughout her history. That a Messiah would come who would be the king of kings, who would set up God's kingdom. The Jews longed for that day. But the day was long in coming. And they got their minds uh, off focus. They forgot. And they needed to be reminded. And Matthew does that over and over and over again. He reminds the Jews of the promised Messiah. And he points to the fact that Jesus is that Messiah. You know, uh, Pastor Anthony today mentioned the journey wall. We're going to do that a little bit in the journey wall. We are going to remember what God has done for us. It's an opportunity for you to help me to understand how God has been seen at work throughout the life of Bethesda. It's 78 years of being here. Matthew does that over and over again. He helps the Jews to remember. And so Matthew writes with purpose, not just willy-nilly. He writes with purpose. At the end of verse, end of chapter 15, we have the feeding of the 4,000. Great miracle of, of God, Christ. Giving people... Uh, food, probably reminding the Jews of a time that God fed them. Forty years in the wilderness, God provided food. Here again, God in Christ provides food as a picture, and Matthew specifically puts it in his gospel. In chapter 16, we read that once again, just like last week's passage, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders uh, plead for a sign. Last week, we looked at the passage where Jesus says, you're only going to be given one sign, and that sign is a sign of Jonah. 
Just like Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, so the Son of Man shall be in the grave for three days and shall rise again. But here again, the Pharisees, maybe they weren't around. This group wasn't around when Jesus spoke those things, or they have a very short memory. They asked for a sign. Jesus warns the disciples about the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, saying, "Ah, look carefully at them. Measure what they have to say against God's word. It will seep into you, their words, and affect you, and don't let that happen. In verse 13, we are entered into this wonderful event where Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And he gives them, they give, they spout back to him some possibilities, what the people are saying about Jesus. And then Peter speaks up and he says, um, you are the Christ, Greek word for Messiah. You are the anointed one. You are the promised one of God. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him in verse 17, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It was a great moment in the life of the disciples, specifically a great moment in the life of Peter. Jesus, his Lord, his master, his rabbi, has says, Peter, you got it right. Gold star for Peter. But Peter realized that you didn't figure this out on your own. And then Jesus um, talks again about his death and his resurrection, and Peter says, ain't happening. Jesus, you are not going to die. And Jesus says to him, he turns around, rips around and says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on things of God, but on the things of man. What a turn of events. Have you ever been there? You ever woken up in the morning and said, God, it's you and me. God, everything is about you. I will give you and surrender to you my full life today. And by noon, you've already turned from God in numerous ways. I don't know if you've been in that place, but I know that I've been in that place. How quick I become like Peter to say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, but you shall not do what you say, you shall do what I say.
Praise be to God that we are forgiven, not by our works of righteousness, but by Jesus' work on the cross. I heard that. Then Jesus calls his disciples to pick up their cross and follow him. If you are going to be a follower of Jesus, you must uh, lay down your life and um, follow Jesus. It needs to be all about him. So those are the things that have happened and lead us to uh, this next event in Jesus' life. And let me make a little aside, um, something that I uh, try to do uh, in my language. Um, I try to speak of the accounts and events of the scriptures, not the stories. The story, to me, reeks of something that it's just that, a story. It may not be true. It may be true. We don't know, but let me tell you a story. And usually when someone says, let me tell you a story, you're not too sure if all of this is going to be true. I can come back to my father and give you lots of examples where he told me stories that were not true. And I don't even know if he was teaching me a point. He just loved to tell stories. So we have here an event in the life of Jesus and in the life of at least three of his disciples. So they're on their journey and these things have taken place and we read in chapter 17 that after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother. That is, John is James's brother not Jesus' brother. And led them to a high mountain by themselves. Most biblical scholars will say this is Mount Hermon, the highest point in Israel. Has snow on it much of the year. It is a good hike. He leads them up to the mountain. It seems to me that God does that for us. He does that throughout history. He leads people to the mountain. He led Moses to the mountain. The people came to the foot of Mount Sinai and Moses went up and met with God. He led Elisha, Elijah to the mountain, and there he spoke with Elijah and recommissioned him to ministry. God has placed his holy city on a mountain. It may not be the highest mountain, but it's, we always travel up to Jerusalem. God meets us on mountains. God even took Moses at the end of his life to the top of Mount Nebo and said, there is the promised land that you brought the people to, but because of your disobedience, you can't enter in, but there it is. And the scriptures tell us we just don't know where Moses ended up. 
mountaintops are important. And maybe you've had some mountaintops. Maybe you went to a retreat or a church service, and it was a mountaintop experience for you. You met Jesus in a special way. His word was open to you, and it, by the Spirit, it touched you, grabbed you. And then at the end of that weekend, you came down off the mountain and back into the valley. And life hits you smack in the face. So Jesus takes his disciples up to a mountain. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. Transfigured. We get our word metamorphosis from this word. That which... Uh, a butterfly does from caterpillar to butterfly. And all that that butterfly is, is contained within that little crawling caterpillar. But it takes the death of the caterpillar, as it were, before the butterfly emerges from its tomb. But... What the butterfly is, is contained in that. It's not something that the butterfly puts on. It's something that comes out of. And when we have that word trans, uh, transfigured, that's what we're talking about. This is not light that Jesus put on. This is light that emanates from him because of his very nature. Peter, James, and John are witnessing the fullness of Christ. For a moment, Christ has let, is letting his glory shine through him. That which is hidden now becomes revealed. And Peter and James and John witnessed that. And if that were not enough, they look up and it says here in verse 3, And behold... There appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. So not only is Jesus being transfigured before them, not only is he shining like the light, but standing with him is Moses and Elijah. Moses representing, I believe, the, the law of God. Elijah representing the prophets of God, both of who, both Elijah and Moses, in their teachings, pointed to the Messiah. God said, through Moses, one like Moses, a prophet like Moses, will come and will lead my people. And Elijah pointed to Jesus. Moses pointed to Jesus. And they are there, I believe, to show that uh, Jesus does not just stand with the law and the prophets. Jesus supersedes the law and the prophets. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. They are appearing with Jesus for a great sign to these three men. 
oh, to know what they were talking about. This conversation between Jesus and Moses and Elijah. Were they talking about the past and the great things that God has done? Were they talking about the future and God, great things that God will do? Were they talking about Jesus' coming death and resurrection? We are not privy to that. But there they were. Jesus transfigured. Moses and Elijah, they're talking with him. Verse 4. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents for you. The word is tabernacles. I will make three tabernacles. And when um, all of you biblical scholars hear the word tabernacle, you should think of two things. One, the tabernacle that was built in the wilderness where God's very presence came and dwelt. And also the tabernacles that the Jews would build every year to remind them of the time that they were in the wilderness and God provided for them. We often call it the Feast of Booths. And I always say you have to be careful with that because it comes out, it sounds like the Feast of Booze. And I don't think Jesus was talking about having, or God was talking about having a Feast of Booze. But it's a Feast of Booths, a time when they remember how God had served them. And so Peter says, let's just build this place where we can worship and live and celebrate together. We can build one for you. We can build one for Moses. And we can build one for Elijah. And why Peter was still vomiting at the mouth, because he didn't know what else to say, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice of the cloud said, This, this one who is shining, transfigured before you is my beloved son and whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. Jesus came and touched them saying, rise, have no fear. And they lifted up their eyes, and they saw no one but Jesus only. Verse 9. And they were coming down the mountain, and Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision. There it is. They have just seen the most wonderful event that a person could possibly experience. And Jesus says, you can't tell anybody. That must have just eat them up. They're going to go down to the rest of the disciples. And the disciples are going to ask them, where have you been? And they are saying, we have been on the mountain with Jesus. And then they will ask, what did you do? And they will say, we can't tell you. 
It probably didn't put Peter and James and John in good stead with the other disciples. Knowing Peter, I don't might conjecture that he might go, we know and you don't. I don't know. Peter's that kind of guy. But they couldn't tell anybody. Jesus says, not until I rise from the dead. There's that rising from the dead again. Which probably causes Peter to think back being called Satan. Not until I rise from the dead can you uh, tell anyone. And they go on from there, and I'm not going to spend any time with it, but they go on there and they talk about Elijah and when he's coming and who he is. And Jesus again talks about Elijah and links him with John the Baptist. So, where do we go with God's word today? What do we learn? What can we pack away into our lives that uh, moves us from one point to another? I think it's in uh, two things. One, to remember that Jesus is God's beloved son. And that has been said of Jesus before at his baptism by this John the Baptist who is linked to Elijah. You see the story? Oh, I used that word. Did you see the life that God is putting together in the person of Jesus. And if you start at the book of Genesis and you read the book of Revelation, you will find that this is about Jesus. The book is about Jesus. And so Matthew wants us to remember in his writing, first and foremost, that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is is the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised king. And the second thing we are to learn is that God says to us, listen to him. Listen to him. Now, I don't know what language God speaks I served in a little church in a Swedish community in Kokato, Minnesota, and they impressed upon me that God, of course, will speak the language of heaven, which, of course, is Swedish. I don't know what God will speak in heaven. Maybe God will speak and we'll all hear it in our own language. I, I don't know. But I'm going to venture to guess, I'm going to step out a little bit here and say, most likely for Peter, James, and John to understand what God, spit, God said, they heard it at least in their language. And so when they heard God say, listen to Jesus, they heard that Hebrew word Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Jews repeat that every day, numerous times throughout the day. 
But an interesting thing about the word Shema, there is uh, no separate word really for obey. The word Shema, which means to listen or to hear, has intrinsically built into it the concept of obedience. It's like when you speak to your children. Do you hear me? Inherent in that is, are you going to do what I say? Do you hear me? Obedience is linked to that hearing. So much more for the Hebrews that when they heard the word listen, it means will you obey? When we say, when the Hebrews would say back, we hear you. God. It means we will obey you. So when God tells these three disciples to listen to Jesus, inherently in that is to obey him. So there are the two things that we need to pack away inside our hearts today. First, that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the promised one of God. Jesus is the king of kings. He came to establish God's kingdom. And all the things that Jesus has said and done prior to this transfiguration, the transfiguration proves and gives uh, validity to what Jesus has said and done. Believe in him. Trust him. Surrender to him. And listen to him. Obey him. Do what he says. And there's a lot of things he says, but let me just sum it up like Jesus sums it up. Jesus said, here is the command of God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Pretty simple. Great vision statement. Why do you exist? You exist to love God with everything you got. And you are called to love your neighbor with everything you got. Someday, like the disciples, we will see Jesus and all of his glory. What a day that will be. And I know, like the disciples, I will probably fall on my face and long for the moment that Jesus will come over to me and say, tap me on the shoulder and say, stand up. Fear not. We should look forward to that day.
As we look back into our past, let us remember what God has done for us. And as we look to our future, let us remember what God will do for us. That day, there's no sunset. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.